know, in, in every season that I've been through in, in my journey, there's always been these certain songs that are like anthems. Uh, for me in this season, and I know this is a season that affects all of us, but this song has just been an anthem for me. That no matter what happens, no matter where we go, no matter what is coming next, we can always sing of the goodness of God. Because He has always been faithful. He has always been faithful. He will always be faithful. I just want us to take a moment, just, let's just take a moment just to rest with Him. Father, we just thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that in every season, in every trial, through the good and through the suffering, through the grief and through the joy, you are always faithful. We thank you that you are the one that walks with us. You are the one that grieves with us. We thank you that you are not distant. You are not far off looking upon us and just watching, but you are the God incarnate. You are the God that chose to come into our broken story into our human experience and experience the heartache, the grief, the suffering, and you walk with us. So we thank you for that. We thank you that every season is an opportunity for you to reveal more of yourself to us. So we thank you for this invitation. We choose to embrace the invitation. We don't wanna bypass it. We don't wanna ignore it. We don't wanna push it down or push it aside, but we choose to sit face to face with you, God. To hear your voice, to experience your comfort, to know your faithfulness and to know your goodness. We thank you, Father, that this is who you are. Yeah, thank you, God. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You can take a seat this morning. Very cool. It's great to see you all. We're in for a good morning this morning. We've got Mike Coe with us from Timaru Connect Church in, well, a little bit all over the country now, isn't it? But <laughs> Mike uh, is part of the AOG movement, leads a, a youth movement within that called Fearless, uh, amongst many, many other things I'm sure he'll fill you in. But it is really just a real honor to have you here this morning, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to come and, and hang out with us. Um, a few years ago, I... Uh, 
uh, once had the opportunity to speak at a church, and it just so happened that it was the week after their pastor had announced that, that he was uh, moving on, and everyone thought that it was all set up, and I was coming in, and they were they were all afterwards like, are you taking over? So I just want to be really clear, that's not why Mike is here. It was a complete coincidence that he happened to be coming this week, um, but yeah, <laughs> um, just wanted to be clear on that one. Um, but otherwise, we've got a couple of notices, and then we're going to invite uh, Mike up. Um, first of all, if, if it's your first time here, welcome. It's so great to have you with us this morning. Uh, hopefully, you got a, a welcome bag uh, as you came in. There's a free coffee in there, which you can redeem at the cafe. I'd love to uh, catch up with you afterwards. Um, but we got some celebrations. Uh, anyone had a birthday, anniversary? Josh and Karen Norris are here. That's worth celebrating. They should get some chocolate. Great to see you guys. <laughs> yeah, you get chocolate. Haynes, you turned 50, eh? Oh, your birthday. Karen's birthday and your anniversary. Is that, that's right, eh? Coming up, coming up. <laughs> Congratulations, guys. <laughs> I, knew it was, I knew it was one of them. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Any other, any other celebrations? No? Okay. All good. All right, a couple of notices. Um, coming up next week, starting next Sunday, we're starting our new series, uh, Bearing Witness. Uh, really looking forward to, to the series. I'm really looking forward to uh, opening that up next week. I've got some, some stuff in my heart that God's been downloading for me, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and alongside that, we also have a small group study that uh, we've been putting together um, so if you are in a small group, look forward to, to that being in your small groups. Um, if you're not part of a small group, get involved. Uh, our, this term will be really great. We've, we've titled the small group series, uh, Becoming a Safe People. Uh, and, and really that's all about how do we, as, as the people of God, uh, bear witness to who He is in our community uh, and as a community of, of, of faith, that we would be safe people for, for those uh, who are needing a safe community to find hope um, and to find Jesus. So we want to be that community. So uh, that's coming up. And at the end of it, we have a workshop with, uh, with Richard Black. Um, Richard Black is, uh, runs an organization called Mind Health and coincidentally used to be the pastor of this church. And so, it's, uh, so that's cool. So he is not coming either to take over. <laughs> He's coming just for that seminar, uh, but that's going to be great. And we've made that free for everyone that's uh, part of our church community. So that's totally free, lunch included, everything on the day. So come along, uh, and that's going to be really great just to tie everything up at the end of that series. Uh, connect cards on your seats if you've got a prayer request, praise report, or um, you just want to put a nice comment about how great Mike was. We'd love to hear it. Um, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, we can. Mike needs encouragement, so let's encourage him. Cool. Otherwise, uh, last thing is, is giving. Uh, so we're just going to pray over our, over our giving, and then um, Mike will come on up. Father, we just thank you that, uh, Father, you are a generous God. And as we, as we head into our new series, which is uh, all about bearing witness to who you are, to being image bearers in our community. Father, we just thank you that generosity is a part of that. And so we thank you that, that our generosity bears witness to your generosity. 
And so we wanna be known as a generous church in our community, generous to those that are a part of our community and generous in our community. So we thank you for the many, uh, many ways that we are able to do that uh, in our community. And, and so we just thank you for the generous uh, givers. Father, we just pray a blessing upon them as they give. Um, and yeah, we just, we just thank you for who you are first and foremost. And then we thank you that you empower us to represent you well through our generosity. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. All right. Why don't you come on up, Mike? Let's give Mike a hand as he comes this morning. Thanks very much. Mate, what a joy to be among you this morning. Uh, it really is just a, a great privilege to be here. I never thought about the transition thing and the assumptions that may or may not be made. And so I was sitting there and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't even think about that uh, for a moment. But it's interesting because um, as I was thinking uh, about come, being up here this weekend over the last couple of weeks or so, um, there was just a thought that kept coming to my mind um, that I actually spoken about. I spent a lot of time talking about actually last year as I got to travel and speak and do some things. And I was like, God, why do you keep bringing that idea back to my remembrance, this, this concept? And uh, then I spoke to Mike and said, hey, Mike, is there anything on your heart or what are you guys doing in terms of preaching series? When I come into a church, I always love to lean into what the leadership's doing and be able to, you know, um, carry that on. He said, oh, well, you probably need to know. We told the church last week uh, that, that we are moving on. And I was like, yeah, well, that, that is helpful to know when I'm the first person in the pulpit after that. Uh, that's a helpful piece of intel. But it made sense of what, was God, what, what God was bringing back to my remembrance. And just feel it's really on my heart to share with you this morning. And if it's okay with you, I'd rather not preach. I'd like to just share with you this morning. I'd love to just talk to you. I'd love us just to have a bit of a conversation. And I just really want to add my yes and amen to that. I'm not here uh, to, to uh, see if my heart is... Uh, plugging me to, to serve the church because we've got a rule in our house. I don't know what it's like in your house, but maybe there's something that you have a uh, propensity towards or you have a heart for, and maybe it's um, stray cats or uh, dogs, or maybe uh, for some of you it's children. Let's have more children. But I've already got four children. We've got no pets because we've got four children. Uh, so that's enough maintenance, you know, around the home. They're high maintenance enough without needing pets. And that's just another mouth to feed. And when you've got four children, come on, that's, that's a factor. Uh, but my wife said to me categorically last year, she said, you will not bring any more churches home. <laughs> and uh, that's an actual thing in our house. We have to talk about it because, uh, as Mike said, we've got four locations and um, with some of the roles that God has just seemed to pop me into, I participate in helping oversee about 260 churches here in New Zealand. So um, uh, I'm not allowed to bring any churches home. So I'm not here to bring another church home. So um, that's, a, that's an actual rule. You might think that's funny. That's an actual rule. We have to have those conversations in our home. Don't bring any more churches home. We have got enough on our plate. Hey, uh, Mike and Ellie, just love you guys. Just really want to honour you this morning and um, just grateful to be here. It feels like it's an eternity since I've been here. We were kind of going to do once a year and then it feels like with the disruption of last year. Anyone know that there's a difference between the way time is experienced before COVID and after COVID? It feels like no time's gone at all, but it feels like a lifetime. And it's just hard. I know I just always, I used to have a great memory for details and now I don't have a great memory for details. But uh, I remember actually my daughter uh, had to go and get her ankle checked out because she had broken it 
uh, last year sometime, and I was at the physio, and we were looking at, uh, he was uh, trying to work out how to um, loosen it up, because it really hadn't, we thought it hadn't fully recovered, but actually the, the tendons and muscles were just too tight, so there was not the flexibility, and they were like, you know, oh, um, so she's, she's had a break, yeah, she's had a break, oh, when was that? This was in like, you know, September, October, and I was like, oh, no, was that before COVID or after COVID? And then I was like, don't take too long to answer because you love your daughter. And, and he'll think you don't know what's going on in your daughter's life if you take too long to answer it. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, I'm pretty sure it was about March. And then he pulls up the, <laughs> the x-rays and goes, oh, it was July. I was like, oh, like three months ago. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It was definitely then. And I thought I really didn't help myself on the loving and engaged. And But that's just what COVID did to people's brain, right? Like you just didn't know where you were, what you're up to. And so it feels like an eternity since I've been with you guys. But really my heart towards Mike and Ellie, we met a number of years ago. And uh, people that I think about often really believe in the call of God on their life. And it's been amazing to see them flourish and grow and into this role. Whereas uh, many of you probably heard the story. They didn't have a whole lot of uh, church experience before taking on in church. And uh, I just think they're an absolute um, trophies of grace. And just you guys are just um, the Holy Spirit showing off. And um, the work that God's done in your life, the leaders that He's turned you into is just absolutely unbelievable. And church, can I just say to you this morning from the heart of God, um, these guys aren't leaving, you are sowing them into the nation. And uh, I just felt that this morning as we were worshipping, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies. And um, how, how we see things is really important. Uh, with our youth movement, Fearless, um, our, our mandate is essentially this. We want to tell a new generation a different story. Because the story you believe is the story you live out of. Did you know that? If you feel unloved, you will live like you're unlovable. If you feel like you're not accepted, you'll live like you're rejected. Is that true? Come on, we've got a world that says success is money and uh, all that stuff, which I know you guys talk about a lot and you're really working hard on being uh, anchored into the person and work of Christ. But isn't it interesting that a world that says happiness and joy is found in all of those places, you know, for someone who's been adopted or displaced somewhere in their journey, it doesn't matter how much material success they experience, they still live defined by the story that sits over their life. doesn't matter how famous they are, if they don't feel a sense of acceptance or belonging, they will literally live rejected, even though they've ticked all of the boxes of worldly success. And I just felt that on my heart this morning, that it's important that we frame the season rightly. And I didn't, I didn't have any of this before I walked into the building this morning, but you are sowing these guys to the nation. The stuff that God has formed these uh, incredible leaders here. This has been a place of formation. This has been a place where they've been able to stretch and grow. And you guys have been blessed by that, have you? That's about six people. You've done a great job. Great job here. God has shaped and formed them to serve a nation. And I believe there's things in their heart that literally are going to be used to build the church nationally and maybe even beyond because of the journey that you guys have been on together. And so, uh, as you say, as you prepare to release them, as you prepare to send them into the nation, I just pray God's grace and comfort upon you uh, this morning. Love you guys. 
believe that God is going to continue to show off in and through your life and in and through this church uh, as well. So uh, I want to just share around that a little bit this morning. Uh, uh, if you want to chuck up that screen, that slide, I just want to talk about being anchored this morning. I want to talk about being anchored. And you understand why I've used that imagery in uh, just a little bit, because the thought that's been nagging me, we're going to just tell a few stories and just work out about how God works in the journey of a life. I'm so grateful that the second song we sung this morning was, All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm actually a second generation pastor. So um, that's kind of exciting. I didn't really appreciate it for most of my life. Just thought, oh no, you know, I'm a church kid. There's so much expectation on me and all that. But the more that I journey, the more I appreciate my upbringing. I'm grateful for what my parents did for me, even though sometimes it felt like rules and regulations and not life. Um, I just recently um, uh, was was in a context where I was invited to speak and uh, this particular culture uh, is very fervent in prayer, very fervent in prayer. And uh, what would happen, I, I was quite unnerving, I was with 300 youth and young adults, this is only, uh, yeah, only a few days ago actually, uh, and, uh, and we would preach the message, we were told, hey, when you preach the message, then you need to lead a prayer time. And so I was like, cool, we're good for this. I'm going to come a little bit early to this conference before I have to preach. And I'm going to just get a vibe of what that might look like. It feels like it's a little bit out of my box. And so I turn up uh, the night before uh, someone was doing the first two nights. I was doing the second two nights of this conference. And I thought, cool, I'll just be able to get a sense of the context in which I'm about to minister into. And so they preach the message, get up. And then there's this prayer erupts for 30 minutes where people are being led through a structured idea of prayer. Actually, a beautiful thing to watch, the sense of people just desperately crying out to God, praying through the points of the, uh, of the message. And so you've got 300 young people crying out to God, like not silent Western prayer. I'm talking like passionate, spiritual, people on their knees, weeping, doing all this sort of stuff. I'm like, wow, this is full on. But it's awesome. I love it. I love difference. Do you love difference in the kingdom of God? Come on. God doesn't want to form us all into one homogenized idea, but it's in our difference that we celebrate as a community. Um, if you read the end of the Bible, if you don't like difference, you're not going to enjoy New Jerusalem. You're not going to enjoy heaven because it's all about us doing the thing, our thing, the way God's wired us to do our thing and reverence and respect and worship towards Him. And so I was like, this is beautiful, this is amazing, this is incredible. And then I said, hey, look, if um, the pastors are here, the main speakers are here, and if you'd like prayer afterwards, I'm thinking, man, surely everyone's prayed out. Like, surely everyone's prayed out. And, uh, and then there's just lines, lines of young people just go, we just, we just want to be prayed for. And I, I just say, hey, I, uh, you know, how can I pray for you? I must have prayed for, for 10 kids the first night, and they just said this, I want to be a better Christian and I want to know if Jesus is real. And I thought, but I just saw you pray. I just saw you pray like I've never seen anyone pray, but all you guys pray like that, but you want to know if Jesus is real. One generation's revelation will always become the next generation's religion. 
One generation is encountering these things because it's like the natural outflow of their experience of their encounter with the living God. But for the second generation, for the, the church kids, you know, how many know there's nothing like a personal encounter with Jesus? Because until that time, it's learned behaviours. What becomes one generation's revelation automatically comes the next generation's tradition, if you will. Take it out of the word religion because that can be a loaded and a baggage word. But what is revelation for one generation becomes so easily tradition for the next generation. I'm like, but I've just seen the most amazing display of Christianese I've ever seen, embodied Christianese, like desperate prayer. God, I just need to be with you, and Lord, would you do it? And then they're crying, I realise, because they don't feel good enough and they want to know Jesus. It's amazing what we can do on autopilot, isn't it? It's amazing what we can do and never really have that heart-to-heart connection. So I was like, oh, I know what my first message needs to be. This is the text, the woman with the issue of blood talked about being, you know, on the outside of the community looking in and longing and feeling like you don't belong because everyone else here is super spiritual and you're the person that doesn't really have the heart connection and you all think that you're the only one that struggles with that. said, hey, you need to push through, push through the crowd tonight and come and have an encounter with Jesus. 200 young people on the altar call, 100 in their seats crying. Just God, would you just just move? That's what happens. We can get into the flow of being around spiritual practice. And I know you guys talk about this sort of stuff, but that was very much my journey. So what I realized it was a foreign culture, but these are my people. Because it's my story. I grew up, I was so grateful for the upbringing that I had, but I was that person that knew how to lift up my hands and worship and do all of that kind of stuff. But when it came to actually my personal connection with God, I say this, I tell people this when I speak, I say, I preached my first message at 16, but I think I met Jesus at 19. Because you can do that when you're a church kid. You can, you can live a certain way. You can have external signs that point to something that's happening internally that's not actually happening internally. We get very good at behaving in certain ways and particular patterns of behavior. And, and I always say, you know, I, I preach 16, 19, and I'm fluent in two languages, English and Christianese. I can quote you scriptures till the cows come home. You can say that down our way because people actually, you know, milk cows. But I can, I could do it. And I could do it all before I met Jesus. I said at 16, I could preach because I knew the story. But at 19, I met the author. And when you meet the author, it changes the way you read the story. And then when you learn his story, you realize your story. And then you can get back to living out his story, which is what the church is called to do. We all have beliefs. We all have things we understand and we live out of those convictions and those beliefs. And that's why that personal encounter with Jesus changed my life. And when it changed my life, everything my parents had done for me and raising me in a Christian home made sense. It was like all the plumbing was in place, but then the water was turned on. And so all of the infrastructure that had been put in, all the Bible stories that I'd memorized for a, a trinket out of the treasure box and a star on the, on the Sunday school chart, because I could do the books of the Bible forwards and backwards. Thank you very much. I'll have you know. And so, you know, I was a super Christian. And so uh, I had like all the star charts in the world, heaps of treasure box moments where I was allowed to come and take something out of the treasure box because I remembered my memory verse and done all of that sort of stuff. But when I actually had my encounter with God, that served me incredibly well. So I just want to honor that this morning. But I think the older I get, the more that I appreciate the formation that my parents gave to me. But the truth is that without that personal encounter with God, what is one generation's revelation is the next generation's tradition. 
He said, my mum and my dad was a, a, a grew up in a good family, private schools in Christchurch, one of the key sort of founding farming families really in Canterbury. Um, we've got places named after us out there, Coes Ford, if you've ever been down there, it's just out in Selwyn. And, um, uh, but he was a womanising um, dude with a drinking problem, foul mouth. If you meet him, he's the most gentlest person. He's just retired off our staff at 78. Uh, 30 years of ministry, and I've only even known him as the nicest man in the world. Like the nicest man. He probably didn't tell me off enough as a kid, if I'm honest. But he had this transformative moment with God that changed the direction and trajectory of his life forever. And so every day when I woke up and he was dancing around the kitchen table having a quiet time, it's because he just knew that God was the best thing in the world. But for me, I always felt like, oh, I should be like that. Good Christians do that. I need to do that. But I hadn't had the encounter that he had had. And so what was revelation for him became tradition for me. He even popped his Achilles dancing around the table. So it was like, hallelujah, speaking in tongues. And then, ah, who hit me? Uh, That was that particular morning. But that's why my mum, a ward of the state, abused every which way you could possibly imagine, was literally lived out the Cinderella story, 15, 16 foster homes, never good enough, carrying the, the work of the house at eight years old in foster homes, getting up at six in the morning while the family slept to make the lunches, to do all of that sort of stuff. All of the things that royal commissions are hearing about now, that was my mum, but someone shared the gospel with her. She said yes to Jesus. And... It changed everything. But what was her religion, uh, her revelation became my tradition. Are we good on that? Cool. So um, we need to have our own personal encounter. Sometimes we think we've had that personal encounter and we're doing great with Jesus. Sometimes we think we're going on just fine, but then sometimes we get thrown a curveball and it reveals the infrastructure of our own faith or the amount that the revelation of who God is that we have, we think will hold us in anything until it doesn't. Anyone know what I'm talking about this morning? This is the thought that came back to me as I was thinking about us this morning because um, I had a bit of an awkward moment. We've been leading uh, Connect coming up 10 years Uh, We started off with uh, our first location 10 years ago in October this year. We've been going, we generally pick up a church every couple of years, uh, and uh, except I'm not allowed to bring any more home. So we've already... We've already established that this morning. Uh, But when I got to do, we do a Vision Sunday. I'm not sure if we'll always do a Vision Sunday, but we had a Vision Sunday plan for last year. And the thing is, Vision Sunday is kind of like Christmas and Easter for pastors. You feel like you have to come up with something new and fresh. Uh, I know if you're not pastoring, if you're not often teaching, you won't know the pressure to come up. Karen, <laughs> you guys know what it feels like. You're like, oh no, Easter again. Oh no, how do I tell a different story? The problem is if you tell a story that's too different, it's probably not biblical. <laughs> and that's the challenge because we're still nurturing a tradition that's a couple thousand years old here, right? So uh, we need to be faithful with that. And, um, but there's always this pressure to find this new angle that no one's found, or at least no one's talked about for a really long time. So then we can be that breakthrough, cut through, memorable message, and you just think your pastor's amazing. Now, I'm sure you guys don't think like that, but sometimes that's how we feel. And so it's not necessarily a good or even a healthy feeling, but sometimes it's how we feel. And Vision Sunday can be like that. What's the word of the Lord for us right now in our season and our moment? What is the living uh, God, the active work of the Spirit, 
doing in this community? What's He preparing us for? What's He asking of us? So we can, because we're always walking into our promised land. Well, that's what the pastor tells you. We're always walking into our promised land. Everything's going to be great. Depends on the kind of gospel that's preached. And I know you guys are more interested in being formed than having your ears tickled here at Awaken Church because of the leaders that you have before you. But they're far more mature than me and my leadership. And so I'm still promising, you know, my people spiritual candy floss. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. But we came to Vision Sunday in, in, uh, in 2020. And uh, I was just, we were leading into this, this crescendo moment in our church where I would often track through our campuses because we've got one that's uh, 20, uh, half an hour south of Timaru and one that's 20 minutes north. And so it's a big day for me. I'll generally try and make sure we share the same heart across our um, southern locations and I'll do our Devonport campus in Auckland normally the week before or the week after. And so uh, I, uh, I was I was ready to go. I was excited about what God was going to do, except the problem was I had this really simple, simple message. And it was this, uh, God wants to bring faith back to the church. And then I was like, I can't get up there and say that. We say that every other week. Because we know that Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't know if you know this, and it's not what we're going to talk about this morning, but the word faith in the Greek is the same word when it's translated faith and faithfulness. It's the same word, right? Without a lived or embodied belief, because belief that's not embodied is not really a belief, it's impossible to please God. In other words, that ties in with the story you believe is the story you will live out of. If you're not living out of that belief, then it's not really your belief at all. It's just knowledge. Is that right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm like, God, I cannot preach that. We preach that every other week. I can't get up on Vision Sunday and talk about God wanting to restore faith to the church. But the problem is I've learned to trust God because God's been faithful. All my life, He's been faithful. When I've been in spaces I didn't think I could handle or I didn't think I was ready for, God has met me. He's been faithful in seasons of business life and seasons of church life. God has been faithful. Now, we were, to give a bit of context here, we were in the middle of a significant journey with around faith and finance. In fact, the year before, the start of the year before, uh, one of our board members, uh, sorry, one of our oversight team members who's now um, pretty much a recognised prophet in our movement and he's in that team for that reason. Uh, he said, hey, after 38 years of having no building, there's going to be a building for us. Uh, and this year, God says it's going to be a building this year. Now, we've been looking for five years, turning over every stone in the community, going, which building could we possibly have if we ever had the money to have one? which was not our position. We had about $45,000 put aside for um, a building, but that doesn't buy you much building in New Zealand in 2021. I don't know if you've noticed that, especially in uh, Upper Hutt. And so I constantly hear the stories about the property market here, which is just going insane. Uh, and we're not quite as bad down there, but it's still pretty ridiculous. And so he said there's going to be a building, and we were like, oh, well, God, you've been faithful. We'll We'll go the journey, except God said to us as a board at that time, I want you to now increase in your generosity. We were like, once upon a time we would have gone, wow, that seems like an oxymoron. That we would be ready to walk into a building that we can't afford and increase your generosity. But we did it because all my life he has been faithful. All my life he has been so, so good. 
And with every breath that I'm able, I will live like I believe in the goodness of God. That's the kingdom life, isn't it? Because every supernatural resurrection is preceded by a sacrificial death. I'll say that again. Because in the kingdom, every supernatural resurrection is preceded by a sacrificial death. Pentecostals love Sunday. We just don't know what to do with Friday. And we don't know why it's called Good Friday, especially Western Pentecostals. What's good about suffering in a world that is absolutely absorbed with comfort, convenience and options? It's the idolatry of our age. Comfort, convenience and options. We're like, there's nothing good about Good Friday. That was Bad Friday. It's Good Sunday. But in the kingdom, it's Good Friday because every sacrificial death is followed by a supernatural resurrection. And so we were like, cool, because all my life you have been faithful. Problem was, that pushed a few buttons for me because I've got history with God and money. I know He's faithful, but it actually triggered some stuff internally in me. And I realised I've got plenty of faith for a lot of things, but actually faith with money for me is a challenge. Let me tell you why. I grew up thinking that there was nothing more important than the kingdom of God because my parents didn't talk about it, they lived it. In fact, there was some weird stuff about the church when I was growing up. We grew up in a Pentecostal denomination and so um, anything that was wild and some of it was wild and some of it was circus-like and all of that, I was like, oh man, this is, I don't know if this is exciting or spiritually stimulating or if it's just plain scary. Actually weird, circus-like. And so, uh, you know, I was like, oh man, this is, you know, I've, I've seen some amazing things. I've seen some miracles. I'm not sure if I love everything that I've seen, but there was this idea that God could do anything. And so when I got into business and my personal life, I wanted to make money so I could give it away because there's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. And I got a bit overexcited about that. And I ended up giving money that I shouldn't have given away. So it was money that was mine to steward, but it wasn't a sensible use of money because I'm like an all-in kind of a guy. So it's like, you know, come on, Lord. Um, people knew that I had a goal that by 30, I wanted to be a millionaire. And uh, at 26, I was halfway there. And so it was like with the value in our business and some of the stuff we had done with property, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And people would say to my wife, must be so amazing to be married to a guy like Mike who, you know, wants to have that stuff. And she'd tell a different story. Uh, a guy like Mike who's getting, you know, he's on the way to, you know, having these big goals. And she's like, the only reason he wants to have a million dollars is so he can give it away. And that was absolutely true. The biggest checks we'd written for anything was always for the church because we believe that it literally is the hope of the world. believe Jesus, Jesus' body, the church, empowered by the Spirit, is the hope of the world. Not the people, but the Spirit shaping the people is the hope of the world. So we were like all in people. And so I had some assumptions. If I do that, then God will do this. If I do that, then God will do this. The business will always be blessed. There'll be no financial tension. I don't know why I'm sharing this. I don't normally share this publicly, but I hope you're enjoying it this morning. Uh, I normally just say I have baggage. I'll do this and then God will do that. Anyone ever approached a situation like that? Anyone better at scripting God's will than God? I definitely try. I, sometimes I feel like he needs my help. 
And I try and advise them on a few things. God, your will be done and it should look like this. Not my will, but yours. Could you do it like this? Please. I know we don't say it like that, but we think it like that sometimes. And the story that we believe is the story that we live out of. And so we go, but God, you promised. And he goes, no, I didn't. You just assumed. One of the biggest things the church needs to understand is the book of Proverbs is called the book of Proverbs, not the book of promises. The amount of Christians I bump into have got their favorite promises from Proverbs on the fridge. I'm like, oh no, because hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so if you hold on to that like it's a promise of God, but it's the wisdom of God that works in 80% of situations. Because it's not in the promised literature, it's wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And so, I don't know if you know this, but the wisdom literature is not just the book of promises. Oh, sorry, Proverbs. Walk with me. But it's also the Psalms. And Song of Songs. Yeah, we can go with that. We like that. And then (laughs) Ecclesiastes and Job. And we mumble those because they're not fun but they're part of the wisdom literature as well. So if your lived experience is different to that of Proverbs, then you'll probably find your life script in Job or Ecclesiastes because those two books are the books that are the counterbalance to the wisdom in these books. I don't see many people putting up verses from Ecclesiastes on their fridge, calling it the promises of God. And I don't see, and Job lost everything, in the space of two weeks and I claim that for my life and over my children. But the problem is they both have equal biblical weight and context. Are you with me? And so we create a script that we expect God to go along with and then get disappointed when He doesn't. And we say, but God, you said. And now it's God's problem and it's the church's problem and it's everybody else's problem. The only person we don't look at and go, did we actually allow ourselves to be formed in the right story so we'd have the right expectations so that we wouldn't actually stop progressing in our maturity because we had essentially laid a trap for ourselves. Is this making any sense this morning? I'll never share this. This is coming out all right. Okay. I think this is good. I think this is good. We lay a trap for ourselves because, here you go, if you're taking notes this morning, this will help you both in your marriage and in your walk with Jesus. Every disappointment is an unmet expectation. Every disappointment is an unmet expectation. Every disappointment is an unmet expectation. Or as the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Here's the second part for that, if you're writing it down. This one's a bit longer. Every uncommunicated expectation is a premeditated offense. (laughs) Every unmet expectation, oh, sorry, Oh, sorry, any uncommunicated expectation is a premeditated offense. Every uncommunicated expectation is a premeditated offense. 
that one's more for your relationship with your spouse than it is for God. Because I don't think that just because you prayed and I told God what you wanted that He's going to do it for you. But that might help you in your marriage and those two go quite well together. Every disappointment is an unmet expectation. Every uncommunicated expectation is a premeditated offence. That should be enough for you to keep you going all week. Just those two phrases. Change a marriage. Say to my wife, I wish, this is just us, there's plenty of things that she's got on her list for me. I say, I just wish you were as good at expressing your, your expectations as you are your disappointments. We've all got stuff, eh? But I'm like, man. And that's the thing. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we don't want to spend the time being formed by God to be shaped in the right story. We'd rather just write our own story and then hold God to account for it. Where were you when? Why were you not? Why did you not? When I gave all of that money, how come I ended up nearly losing the business? Because God, it says that if I did this stuff, if I gave this, then you would open the windows of heaven over my life. Remember Malachi had been preached to me every week for 20 years. I'll get a, a minimum 30-fold increase. I, I'm so glad you guys aren't familiar with these passages. Well, you're looking at me like you're not, and I'm like, these guys have done a great job uh, not leveraging you guys over a barrel and going, give, and it's going to be amazing for you. No, give because of what God's already done for you. Like, it's just an act of worship, right? It's not an investment strategy. And for some places, it's, it shouldn't be a Ponzi scheme. You know, like this is actually something that we do because God's changed our heart and it shapes the way we steward because we realize that we're not giving God something so he give us something back. We realize that everything we have is what he's given us to manage. And that's the life of stewardship, otherwise known as discipleship. Okay, so we're not owners, we're just stewards. That's the paradigm of the kingdom. That's what a disciple understands and begins to walk in and walk out of. And so to come back to my story, we, I've got bag, I had baggage with money. God, I can trust you in every area of my life, except you and me have got an issue with money. And the only thing worse than me having a negative money experience with you is me giving the church a negative money experience with you. Because my heart, you have to understand, my perfect storm is misrepresenting God to my people. It's my two biggest fears in leadership. Misrepresenting God to my people. That I'd teach them something about God that isn't true. That would shape the story they would live out and would lead to their disappointment. Or their disappointment in God or their disappointment in the church. And two is mismanagement of kingdom resources. Because I've had to take over works that have been not had the right securities around them. And actually we took down over an upside down church financially. No assets. And we owed a whole lot of money. So I've got history with God on this. And so when God was in the middle of this journey for us as a church, where eight months in, nine months in, God begins to open doors miraculously and he doesn't just do something that lifts the faith of our church, but he's healing my heart at the same time. Isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? It's never the way we script it. But God is just so faithful to heal our hearts. And he does. He just shows his faithfulness. And we end up, uh, long story short, we end up going unconditional 
on our first ever building in Timaru, 1,600 square metres of building. Four days into lockdown. And then you realise God healed your heart, not for your benefit, but for His, because you were going to need that healed heart to take the next, next step of faith that He's asking you to do. So we, in the middle of this journey as a church, sorry, I hope that was a good segue. But we find ourselves the 2020 Vision Sunday. And I start preaching, hey, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And uh, what's the story you're living out of? Because, uh, you know, the story you believe is the story that you live out of. And I just feel like this, this, the way that I minister, I just feel like I, I definitely prep, prep my heart. But there's, I sometimes just kind of get this, these impressions, I guess they're prophetic, that just I feel like God's wanting to stop on. And I just got the same word, just keep talking about the simplicities of faith. I'm like, I can't do that for 35 minutes. And people, that's not what people are expecting on Vision Sunday. And God's like, no, I'm going to restore faith to actual faith, real faith. And then he says this, he says, tell them that the church has exchanged faith for certainty. That what the church in the West calls faith has actually been a trust and certainty of circumstances. And then he says this, say this. I was like, okay, here we go. He said, how many of us believe we live a life of faith and we trust in God, we say grace with our kids and say, God, I thank you that you've provided the food on our table and you will next week. And then we kiss them goodbye after breakfast and go to our well-paying job that pays us on every Thursday and is more than enough to cover all of our expenses for our lives. And we sit there and go, that's me practicing faith. I trust that God's going to provide for me while I go off to my certain stream of income. Are you tracking with me? And so I said that and I was like, God, that's weird. Like, it's true, but it doesn't feel like Vision Sunday. Like, what are you? But there's just this impression. I can't tell you how odd it felt to talk about the simplistic idea that was somewhat profound when you put the faith and the certainty dynamic into it. But I was like, God, but I've never felt anything so strong in my whole life. And I'm going, I feel like God wants to bring faith back. Everyone's like, yeah, of course we're faith-filled. We turn up here, we sing songs. We sing great faith. Don't we? If only our faith was as good as our songs. That's just our Christian needs sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it's aspirational. Lord, I want to have faith like this song. Yeah, with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God when I'm not moaning at you for all the things that you haven't done. When you've not been the God of promises, I'm the psalmist. Where are you, Lord? Why have you forsaken me? How long will this oppression happen? Why are my enemies over me? I feel like we've had seen our kids' heads bashed against rocks. Like, what are you doing, God? Because that's the Psalms, right? When you're not the God of promises, Proverbs, I'm the psalmist. And but, oh, but with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sometimes we sing more about our unmet expectations of God than we do about His goodness. God, why am I disappointed? It's your fault. Is that right? But we sing it. And so I'm like, okay, God, I see what you're trying to cut through here. But this still feels overly simplistic. And there was a real sense around provision, faith around provision. And I'd had somewhat of a revelation about that. And I'm thinking, surely this is about my journey because I know the finance journey with our church has been incredibly corporate, but it's been deeply personal as well. 
And so I thought, oh, maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just me thinking about stuff God's talking to me. And the other hard thing for a minister is, is God saying that to me for me or is that God saying that to me for my church? And so I was like, no, no, this is what God's saying. And so I preached that faithfully, as faithfully as I could across four locations. What I didn't know is in four weeks, we'd be in lockdown. And the certainty of those incomes would no longer exist for the majority of people in our church. And the thing is, now I was like, as soon as we went into lockdown, I was like, oh, this is terrible. Financial, you know, unprecedented financial uncertainty. But the past of me was like, yes, that's what this was about. That wasn't me. It wasn't that I'd had bad Indian the night before and, you know, that wasn't really God. That was actually the salmonella talking to me or anything like that. That was God. This is what God was doing. God knew this was going to happen. And he wanted to prepare his church because he's that loving that he would actually get us to prepare our church. And we talk about the Western church and we think sometimes, you know, we often quote, you know, the church does better under persecution. Why is it that when the, you know, we get pressed down, we have to decide what we believe and then we have to stand in what we've decided we've believed. And then all of a sudden, like religious fervor and faith begin to stir and rise up. And in a sense, that's probably the closest thing to persecution or the oppression of the things that we idolized in our culture. That has, well, we believe in God, we go to church, we tithe, we do all that. But our hope is in our ability to provide for our families or our ability to meet our bills. And then something like that happens and you have to sit there and go, do I actually trust God? Because I can't trust in me anymore. I can't trust in my ability to provide because that's out of my control. This is a Westerner's worst nightmare. I mean, we all got used to it and then enjoyed the holiday and realised the government was going to bail us out anyway, so we're fine. But in those initial moments, unless you're in the hospitality industry, and I don't take that lightly if someone's been affected by that because there's definitely trades. And we've got a location in Auckland and their experience of COVID has been very different to the rest of the country because they were shut down for half the year, right? But in the initial instance, there was just this, what, what's going to happen next? The banks are telling us everyone's going to take a mortgage holiday and that's going to nail everyone at the, the other end of it. This is going to wipe out businesses. This is going to you know, ruin employment, all of that kind of stuff. And we're having to sit there going, mate, what do we actually believe about God? Are we going to be like the rest of the world and be crippled with anxiety about life? Or do we actually trust that God has us and this in hand? And I felt like I was vindicated. And then I was trying not to be anxious myself. Because we had to go unconditional four days into lockdown after unprecedented financial collapses being spoken about on every media channel you could possibly find as Fear and anxiety increasing conversation. And now my two fears, which I thought we had walked through, are face to face again. And I have to go unconditional on a large mortgage with financial uncertainty. What turned into a series of miracles turned into a temporary nightmare. Because I don't want to make the wrong decision here, God. But we had seen so many miracles. God says, do you trust me? I said, like, I do. Because I've been walking with you for a long time and when I look over my shoulder, I have to sing, all my life you have been faithful. 
All my life you have been so, so good. I used to read, you know, the, the Psalms because sometimes when I was, before I had that personal encounter with Jesus, I'd come home from every youth camp after having an encounter with God and go, I'm gonna be a good Christian, read my Bible. And so I'd try and find the bits that had the short chapters. And so I'd find myself sometimes in Psalms or Proverbs or whatever and just taking snapshots of the Bible. And then I'd get bored with it after a week because it wasn't life-giving for me. And, uh, and so, but I felt like good Christians do that and I'd see my parents do it. So I was always into it. But I remembered some of the stuff. And I remember, had all my kids' church memorized verses, of course, uh, you know, in my ammo belt. And it would say, the steps of a good man and woman are ordered by the Lord. And so I was always looking for the audible order. Except after walking with God for 40 years, I now look over my shoulder and go, oh, he ordered my steps. He didn't tell me which steps to take, but when I look over my shoulder, I see that he's ordered them. He's actually put them into order. No one, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have scripted that. I can't believe that God was going to use me for that. And so he prepared me back here and he had that relationship and that connection and that moment and even that loss, which I felt was so difficult at the time. God was just building resilience and strength in me because he doesn't make bad things happen, but he does take the bad things that happen and work them for our good. Because that's the story we live out of, eh guys? God's not the source of bad, God is good. So he can take, he's so good, he can even take the bad and turn it into our good. He can actually prepare us for the next challenge. He can actually help us become the people he's calling us to be, that we might be an anchored people in a stormy world. That when everyone else is being, uh, living lives shaped by the circumstances around them, we are people who are anchored into the person and rock of Jesus Christ. That when everyone else is freaking out around the storm, we're like sitting there going, Jesus is in the boat, it's going to be fine. Which the disciples had to learn. And I felt like COVID was that moment for us. It was like, here we are preaching real faith. And everyone, all the spiritual people, the prophetically wise people in our church, like, oh, yeah, I believe it. That means we're going to have, you know, messy services now and the Spirit's going to roll through everything and everything's going to be amazing. And everyone had a different view of what that looked like. But I knew God was saying, I want to do a deep work in my people in the midst of the crisis that is coming. And, uh, and so we had to go, we end up going unconditional on the building. And it was like, oh my goodness. And God just showed us again, just even though all of the circumstances were against us, God proved himself faithful. And uh, put it this way, we, our giving dropped. Uh, we'd never had a negative growth year and our giving dropped about $24,000 just through employment changes and people losing the casual work and extra hours and all of that sort of stuff. 23000 who thinks that's a lot of money? You wouldn't want to lose that in your household budget, would you? And, um, and then we got unexpected tenants in half the building, which we haven't been able to develop yet. It's like this, we had a 800, we've got an 800 square meter factory we're going to convert into our Sunday spaces. And um, we had someone in there. And from the moment they came, they weren't planning to come and stay. They had six months rent free, the old owners, and they stayed for six months. And the exact number of their rent, can you, can you guess what it is? $23,000. God is faithful. The moment that rent stopped, our giving went back to above what it was 
before we started. God is faithful. God is good. And we sometimes want him to just do stuff to make it easy. But he wants to do stuff that uh, in the midst of the brokenness and carnage that's all around us, he wants to invite us in to walk close with him. He won't do something, go, oh, cool, I'll set you up again. I'll just set you up with more certainty in different areas so you can go and rely on that certainty instead of relying on me. Or to put it in the biblical narrative, which is what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness, they became more attached to the provision than they were to the provider. And that's the problem with the Western church sometimes is we get more attached to the source, we get more attached to the provision than the source of the provision or the provider himself. The people of God had known nothing but slavery, um, oppression, all of that negativity, but when it came to actually um, getting ready to walk into the promises of God because they trusted the God who delivered them, they would put more hope in their daily provision than they did in the God who had been providing it to them for 40 years. They had their Kmart sandals that never wore out. They were like, we just, why would we give this up? There's work to be done over there. Why would we give this up? And God's like, no, no, but you don't understand, there's so much more potential in the next season. And I brought you this far so you could walk into the next season. And they're like, no, 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 we like it easy here. God's like, no, but it wasn't about whether it was easy or hard. It's about whether you'll be my people, whether you'll walk with me, whether you'll let this connection define who you are. And in doing that, you will have the privilege of revealing the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Because you're not the people that enjoy God's power. You are God's people. So it's not about the power. It's about the relationship. Finish with the story. I've got a photo there. Don't check it up. That's what I was going to start with, but we're, we're there now. Is everyone all right? Is this helping anyone? This year, I always grew up a uh, ministry family, like I said, and we always wanted a boat. We holiday at Kaiteri Terry every year in uh, Abel Tasman National Park. Anyone been there? Yes, it's heaven on earth. Uh, we go there for a couple of weeks every year, and I had grown up in. Uh, camping in Kaiteri Terry Campground and um, it's a bit of an oxymoron there because it's like the richest people in the South Island camp there and so they go up there with his and her Mercedes and one of them will grow, bring up the you know $100,000 caravan and the other one will tow up the $100,000 boat and on some campsites there's two boats, one for fishing and one for water sports and we're the pastors, the pastor family that my parents squirreled aside $20 every week so we could have a holiday at the end of the year, and so I had my $3 plastic spade while everyone had their two boats. And so I appreciated my holiday, but I was like, man, it'd be so awesome to have a boat. We just talked about my whole life growing up. And so, uh, you know, um, there came a moment where um, we just had an opportunity unexpectedly to get a boat, and we had a friend who was pastoring Motuaika, um, Shane, uh, where Mike and Ali came from and uh, he was a boat mechanic in his former life and so he said hey if you can grab this boat it's a great deal it, they're only really wanting like two thirds of what it's worth if you can grab that it's going to serve you and your family really well so fast forward we've got this boat that's actually in um, Timaru in the port and uh, but we ended up at Kaiteri got given the use of a three-story home and uh, on, right on the beachfront there's only about four of them and little Kaiteri there and we got the use of it for free for about six days, and so um, we were there with our uh, extended family, and uh, we'd just been out for a nice day up the bays, and I came back, and the tide was too low to get the boat in, and so I was like, oh, that's cool, we'll just move over to Little Kaiteri, which is just, you know, just a, only a couple hundred metres away, you can see in both bays in the same sort of cove, and I'll just anchor it out there, and so uh, I'll anchor it, and then I'll go back and get it later, 
And so um, I anchored it just off the shore. New Bodhi, no one really teaches you how to do this stuff. So I did it and I was like, yeah, pretty proud of that. And, you know, I'm still feeling the bask of, you know, God's so faithful. God's given me what I've dreamed about. The desires of my heart, God has given them to me. And we walked over, you know, hit the button. The electric gate opens on this like little mansion and go and sit on the second floor, which is about 100 or 200 square metres of living space with balconies and decks. And we're sitting out playing cards on the balcony thinking, God's so good. God's so good. Every now and again, I just look over the fence and say, oh, look, that's my vote. That's my vote. I'm, I've got a vote criteria. This is me living the dream. And, uh, and then I'm like, everyone else, have you guys seen my vote? It's just out here. It's my vote. Have a look. And then, uh, you know, we moved inside because the wind came up a little bit. And then I was like, oh, okay. Um, and now every hour I'm going to have to step out. Look, I go, you know, that's my boat. And I uh, just like looking at it. And every time I went out, I was like, has that boat moved? And I'm like, nah, it's just an optical illusion. I can go back. And then I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm just worried. It's just because it's new. Go out there. Has that boat moved? I'm sure it's moved. I'm sure it's moved down that way a little bit. It's like, no, nah, it can't be. It's anchored. Uh, it won't have moved. Oh, it must have just swung around in the wind, you know. Look at next time. I'm pretty sure that's moved, but my head tells me that I've anchored it. And so it's amazing what you kind of overlook when you're pretty convinced about something, isn't it? And then the next time I come out, I'm like, okay, that boat's about to hit the rocks. <laughs> and then I shot down in my wetsuit, like ripping it on, like sprinting down the beach to go and get it. I, I, it was right up the, the end of the beach and it was about to hit these rocks because I'd left it like an hour since my last check. And I was like, oh no, so I dive in, get, literally got there. It's pretty weightless sitting in the water. Managed to grab the motor, pull it back before it hit the rocks by about this far. Got up, and then the waves were pushing it towards the rocks. So I climbed up on the rocks and was able to push it out, spin it around, climb in the back, get in, start it, and move it away from the rocks. And it's like, what on earth happened there? Like, I couldn't get my head around it. The problem is no one ever taught me how to anchor a boat. Now, it's easy. You throw the rope and it has an anchor on it. But the problem was the water was shallow. It was too shallow. There was hardly any water in the bay. I couldn't get the boat out of the boat ramp. And so what I did was, where do I want my boat to sit? I threw it out, hooked in the sand, tied it off so it would sit nice and still. That's great until the water rises. And then the pressure of the water rising floats the boat, and it doesn't matter how good your anchor is, it rips out of the sand. And then your boat is anchored in the current. And my thought around that is that some of us think we are anchored safely in the person and work of Christ. We've got this faith that's going to hold us in any storm until the level of water rises, until some strain comes on that infrastructure. And we realize that the infrastructure we thought would hold us won't hold us anymore. And when we're not anchored in Christ, we are forced to engage the current of circumstance. And we go on believing we're being held by God because we've got this faith that's so deep and so anchored and so tight. But we find ourselves that for a long time now, we've actually just been floating in the current of circumstance because our infrastructure of faith was not enough to hold us in this particular storm. I think that's the season that the church is in. 
We've got to find other things to freak out about. And then we feel like we're being spiritual because we're on Facebook smashing the government or doing whatever. But like, no, we're just doing it from a faith position. Like it's just our expression of our faith. But actually we're just getting caught in the mania around us. Everyone else is freaking out because their hopes and circumstances and the circumstances have shifted and so they feel fearful. And so all of this anxiety comes out. And people think they're anchored in faith, but all they're propagating is fear. Is God big enough or is he not? Come on, does the government have really that much control over our lives? They don't get to decide our posture towards God. Hey, look, this is not a political message. Do I think we want freedom of religion? Yes, I do. Do I think that, you know, we live in one of the greatest countries in the world? Yes, I do. Um, do I idolatrise my freedom? No, I, you shouldn't idolatrise anything. We're the people that are happy to give up our freedom if it's for the benefit of somebody else. That's the Christian ethic. We believe in sacrificial love to do what's not always easiest for me to do what's best for somebody else. And so we're the people that are happy to live some of our freedom to make sure we're blessing to others. Again, that's not a political statement. I know it sounds like a political statement because there's a lot going on that I don't agree with right now. Can I just put that disclaimer out there? There's a lot. Don't think I'm sitting there going, hey, but actually our hope is not in this government. Our hope is in the government that Isaiah talks about, the government that is without end. Is that right? Or, oh, we, oh, no, we sung that on Sunday and we amen the preacher, but you don't understand what's going right now. And I'd say, yeah, but check your anchor. Because you think you're locked into the sand by actually the tide of pressure and anxiety has lifted around you and now you're just floating around in a sea of circumstance. But we're the people who aren't shaped by what's happening around us. We're the people that are shaped by who's living inside of us. That's the Christian message. And so when some of our safety blankies get pulled out, the thing, it doesn't, we shouldn't be railing at God. We should be looking and going, hey, what's the infrastructure of my faith going on? And the earthquakes in Christchurch, we realize that we don't build buildings very well in Christchurch. Crisis revealed. When our world's shaken, when our safety blankies are pulled out, what, what's our response? It's actually a great opportunity to look at ourselves and go, hey, what, why is that shaking me so much? Why is that stirred me so much? Sometimes there's good reasons. But sometimes it's because we're not as anchored as we thought we were. And our hope was sometimes in the provision and not the provider. And sometimes our hope was in the person, not Jesus. I believe, church, that you're in a season where God wants you to, He wants to prepare you for what's next. There's some things going to be revealed in this season. You sit there and you don't beat yourself up when things are revealed because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How good's that? But He invites us. The Spirit invites us. He says, Come, hey, there's some stuff that's a week here. We just need to work on that. We need to patch that. We need to weld that. We need to build buildings differently now. We need to. There's different circumstances, the things we need to consider, the stuff that we weren't thinking about before that we have to think about now because now a set of circumstances have revealed the flaw in our thinking. What are those areas for us? We think we are so anchored, but then we have that moment when we realize we've been actually moving towards the rocks for some time now. I just didn't really want to have honest eyes to see it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Without faithfulness, the Bible preaches, it's impossible to please God. Same verse, remember, Greek? It's not, the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in the same word. Without an embodied trust, I live like I believe God is King. I live like I believe God is provider. I live like I believe that God is with me. I live like I believe that God is leading me to green pastures because He's a good shepherd. It doesn't say that He will walk me around the valley of shadow of death. He will walk with me through the valley of shadow of death. It takes a lot more faith to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with the good shepherd than it does to make grass angels in green pastures. What's the invitation for you today? It's God revealing. Because this stuff's great. Great to come together, sing, declare faith, amen the preacher. And you've got, you know, you've had some of the best teaching around. I mean, I, I listen to what you guys have been having. I think sometimes the sexuality series and all that stuff. But you, what you're getting is outstanding. But my daughter came to me and she said, Dad, I know all my Sunday school verses from last year. I know them all. Which one would you like to hear? And I said, well, which one would you like to tell me? She said, I don't know. They're all great. Which one would you like to hear? And I said, the one that you're putting into practice. And she said, what? And I said, well, that's the only one that will help you. It's the only one that will help you. The only one, not the one that she can remember, the one she lives. And she was like, oh, I need you to want to share one of her memory verses. I was like, I hope that doesn't mean you're living none of them, but. Come on, we need to be a community that lives what we believe. Lives what we believe. And we don't sit there and just when stuff's pointed, hey, actually, that's not quite as strong as it could be or should be or whatever. Say, so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and do you? The, I mean, we know this. I mean, you, you hear this every week. The gospel is about restoring broken things and raising dead things to life. This is the big story of the gospel. God is fixing what was broken and He's raising a people to do it, to partner with Him. He's making dead things live. We were dead in our sin, but we're alive in Christ. Come on. Do we have faith for that? I want us to just take a moment. Maybe it'd be great for us to sing that song again if we can. All my life you have been faithful. I stand up here with sharing some of my baggage with you this morning around finance and there's been other areas too. But I can stand before you today, church, and the middle of May, maybe for you, feels like a stormy season. I can say, all my life, He has been faithful. And so I have to work out what I, I have to let the defining thing about what I see be shaped by what He said. I have to run what I see through the lens of what He said. Because He is my hope. Not my certainty. Not things being the way they've always been. Not things being the way I wanted them to go. But my hope is in You. You are the way, the truth and the life. You are the living embodiment of everything the human heart craves. There's nothing like just knowing Jesus allowing Him to shape the deepest parts of us. Can we sing that together? Sing, all my life you have been faithful. I didn't get to my notes, but I hope that's been helpful.
I've known you as a father 